we always strive for that sound, bro. I could think everybody that worked with us, we were truly music heads. We weren't just no dudes that just was like, oh, okay, we rap. You know what I mean? No, yeah. we really was into music, like, you know, and that's why we strive for perfection during those times. Even though we didn't have all of the big equipment, like, you know, a lot of people had on the West Coast and the East Coast and things like that, we made it work to the best of our ability. But we did, we all understood the quality of music. Yeah, yeah. to the Isleys and the OJs and 
you know, the era that they come up from, you know, I understood it, but it was a, a career that I pursued, man, and here it is, 25 years later, still we staying relevant in the uh, yeah. hip-hop market in Louisiana, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's one of the... And that's one of the major factors about not only hip hop but music in general. You know, staying relevant, staying relevant, and being right. able to just move forward. Right, right. I mean, we still do a lot. We still put out a lot of music. We birth a lot of artists down here. Some of the artists that you hear, such as like Fifth Wall Weeby and all of them, those are artists that we signed first and we uh, pretty much mentored them throughout their careers. And you know, what I mean, they became some excellent artists as well. But you know, even on the other side of music, you know, with the writing and things like that, with the company Beats and Hooks, you know, we've written a lot of hit songs for a lot of major artists. Of course, you know, we did a lot for Juvenile with uh, the Juvenile Shorty, Shorty Low song, We Be Getting Money, was written and produced by us. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Lil, Lil Boosie, You Better Believe It. Yeah, that, that yeah. was uh, okay. that's, that's us. Yeah, that's us as well. That's actually me singing on the hook. <laughs> Uh, doing That's that, tight. and uh, yeah. also the uh, T Pain C Ride Money Round here, we uh, wrote and produced that as well. Plus a, a bunch of more that I could name, but just on the other side of just being partners of crime, we just have so many other things that is going, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, when did you and Mr. Me to meet? We met back in high school, man. It was the early '90s, bro. I say it was about like. 90, uh, yeah, about 91, something like that. And uh, I uh, had just transferred from a, a high school out in New Orleans East. And uh, I went to a school. I was going to a school named uh, Marion Abramson. Then uh, I got put out of that school, and they sent me to Sarah T. Reed, which was a school that Mr. Mina had formerly went to. The year that I came to Sarah T. Reed, he had graduated the year before that. So when I came to Sarah T. Reed, you know, I had a bunch of friends that was from the uptown area that moved out to to New Orleans East just as well as I did. So we all just ganged up in the school, uh, you know, cafeteria and gym and things like that. So I used to be rapping, you know, in the uh, gymnasium and in the cafeteria and, you know, just rocking out the whole school. But a lot of people had told me about this dude that went there the year before I did, which was my partner, Mr. Mina. And they used to right. say, he was cold. Y'all need to challenge him. I'm telling y'all, y'all going to challenge him. I'm going to put y'all against him. And then he had his friends that had that was at the school that wasn't from uptown, you know what I'm saying? That was from New Orleans, the New Orleans East area, and they used to always say, "We're going to make y'all challenge. We're going to make y'all challenge," and you know things like that. So uh, we we both had a mutual friend by the name of Dejon Leaford, and I don't know if you remember the old Drama Squad. Yeah, the group called the Drama Squad that we put out on South Coast came out with Red Hot Pepper Boy and all of that. Those songs right. you know, was dropped on their album. So we had a mutual friend that grew up in Hollygrove with us that knew both of us. So he was like, man, you don't remember Mike from Hollygrove? I'm like, no, I don't remember him. He's like, man, you gonna when you see his face, you're going to remember him. So um, one thing led to another. We were supposed to meet up in battle. We never did do that. And then one day I was on the bus and I saw him. You know, he was off the bus and I was on the bus and I saw him. And um, the next day he came to the school during my seventh period, which was my band period. And he was like, see, man, I heard you rap, and, you know, from now on, we said, okay, took a walk to the store, brother, go get a sandwich, and from then on, Partners in Crime was birth, you know? Right. Yeah. So who initially came up with the name Partners in Crime? Well, Mike came up with the name because uh, we was entering gong shows around that time, 
They had these big yeah. things around the city called a Bobby Marchand Gong Show, and I don't know if you're familiar with Bobby Marchand. He's a guy that wrote some songs for Elvis Presley and a lot of the greater, you know, a lot of the older artists and stuff like that. So he uh, had these things called a Bobby Marchand Gong Show. So when we entered the Gong Show, you had to put a name down on the paper. So we was like, man, we both were standing there like, what are we going to call ourselves? And then Mike was like, uh, my partner My partner was like, uh, you remember the Rapper Townsend movie? Where they where he was part they was partners in crime is what they call themselves. I was like, Yeah, he's yeah. like, Man, let's just do that. So, you know what I mean? We put partners in crime down on the paper. But uh the way we spelt it was the partners with the hyphen, with the N with the hyphen crime. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it looked right, good yeah. to us. Yeah, so it looked yeah. good to us. So uh from then on every gong show and every talent show that we got in, that's the name that we went by and it sort of just rolled with us, bro. It's just was something that came to us. You know, I guess it was something that God gave to us, bro, and here it is. You know, we made something out of it, you know? Wow. Right. Yeah. Right. So how did y'all get connected with Big Boy? Well, when we was doing the gong shows, there was this uh, club called the Big Easy Nightclub that everybody used to go to down here in the city. And um, they used to host these little talent show contests where you could come rap and you win money and stuff. So. We uh, there was this guy by the name of Sporty T, Terrence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He, uh, yeah, yeah. Sporty T uh, had came to uh, us and he was like, "Hey man, I can introduce y'all to this dude named Chuck. He's just starting to label up, bro. He's serious, bro. He's like, I just signed to him. He like, I want to bring y'all to him and you know, so y'all can meet him or whatever. So uh, in between that time, uh, Brian Cash, well, Cash Money." wanted yeah, us yeah. to come up to their office when uh, Sporty T told us this. So first we went up to, you know, the cash money office, and, you know, they wanted to sign us, but they was trying to separate us. They was like, we want you Kango by yourself, and we want Mina by yourself. Like, you know what I mean? They were trying to, like, yeah, separate yeah. us. Plus, plus when we were up there, you know, they had a few people that was asking for money in the meeting and things like that. So uh, we had decided, you know, not to go with them. Actually, uh, Brian had went to my mom's job because uh, – we're kind of like this. We distant family, you know. My name is Walter Williams. He's Brian Williams. Him and his brother, you know, we're distant family. So uh, they went. They went to my mom's job to try and get me to sign. And you know, my mom uh-huh. came on one day and was like, "Look, your cousin and them came over. You know, it's your cousin from such and such. Whoop the whoop, cousin Brian the third. You know." <laughs> yeah, yeah, all yeah. That type, <laughs> all that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I made the decision not to sign with him. So. When we did that, my partner was like, hey, man, if you want to, bro, he's like, I understand, you know, your position. He's like, you could go ahead and sign with him. But he's like, you know, I really don't want to sign with him. But, you know, it's your choice, whatever you want to do. So we made that choice right then and there that we was going to stick together. And no matter what, man, we was going to weather the storm together. So we made that choice not to go with him. And um, the next day we had a show at the Big Easy and uh, Cash Money asked us to open up for them, and when we opened up with our songs, after that, the group called UNLV came up and started dissing us, saying with this song they had called Everybody Jocking UNLV Style. So um, they kind of dissed us right there in our faces, and from that point on, you know, we looked at it like it was war, like, you know, so we went, met with Big Boy. Big Boy was talking the right things that we wanted to talk and we dropped the album. Like, we went straight in the studio after uh, meeting with Big Boy the next day, and we uh, put together an EP called uh, Pussy in the Can, where we were actually pissing on Six and Barong, the same steps that UNLV took their album cover picture on, on their set. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we went on a set and we actually took our album cover pissing on those same steps that they sat on. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the name of that uh the name of that maxi single was called Pussy in the Can. It was our first maxi single, our first anything that we ever dropped. You know what I'm saying? That was on Big Boy Records. So uh we was introduced to Big Boy through Forty T. Forty T, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, because during during that war, you, it, it was a lot of songs that was back and forth between y'all and uh, you know, the DGs on the on the way down to yeah, drama squad. Yeah, right. I mean, it was a lot of stuff. You know, that was the biggest. That was the biggest uh, rival in the city. It was just like the Biggie and Tupac beef before time. Before his yeah. time, you know, there was a, a Cash Money and Big Boy beef or Partners in Crime and UNLV beef, you know. And basically, we were the main ones that Cash Money targeted. Like, you know, and every one of their songs from the early 90s, all you hear is fuck Partners in Crime, fuck y'all, fuck y'all, fuck y'all, all the way through. Yeah. Even when they signed, even when they did the Soldier Rag, they still was dissing yeah. us. You, I know you remember Juvie saying, what's this I hear about you boys, Partners in Crime? Didn't you yeah. and LV you bitches the last time? Now you want yeah. time. I can put something on your mind. I was known for he taking hits and protecting shit. You know what I'm saying? All the way yeah. up to their reign, they just constantly, 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 constantly tried to drill us because here in the yeah. city, I don't care what the world thinks, you know, here in the city, we are a remaining factor and we stand as a pillar for, you know, New Orleans music. So that's something that they could never, 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 never diminish. You know what I'm saying? No doubt, no doubt. Right. right. So while this was going on, was it in a beef with the with the higher ups between Big Bo and Baby? No, it wasn't no was beef between with Big Bo and Baby. Yeah, our beef came with Baby. Baby had a beef with Partners in Crime. This was never Big Boy's beef. You know what I mean? Okay. It was never yeah, Big yeah. Boy's beef. The beef was always with Baby, UNLV, you know what I mean? Slim wasn't even in the beef because Slim is mainly on the back end and he really didn't want it to happen, but he had to roll with it because it's his fucking brother. You know what I'm saying? So, it was really a beef that Baby had with him disliking us, not signing with him, not fucking with him like that. And he yeah. enticed UNLV to come at us, so it was really a partners in crime, UNLV, Baby beef. But once we signed with Big Boy Records, then our camp stood up behind us and was like, fuck that. You know what I'm saying? This is what right. it is. Your camp behind you, my I'm behind my 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 dudes. You know what I'm saying? But it was never a beef behind, actually, Big Boy and Baby, like Chuck okay. and Baby, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, so uh, during this time, that's when uh, G Slim had came into the picture. Well, yeah. Was G Slim signed the Big Boy first, or was it Mystical? No, uh, G Slim was signed the Big Boy first. Mystical came afterwards. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. G Slim, he had been in the picture since the beginning, but we was just waiting for the right time to drop G Slim. That's why uh, after we dropped the little Maxi single and stuff, you started seeing more on G Slim because G Slim was catered more to the West Coast audience. You know what I'm saying? And right. By, yeah. By by Chuck and uh, the rest of them actually living on the West Coast for for a great amount of time during their you know teenage years and things like that. Big Boy Records was sort of like that West Coast South Southwest record label. Yeah, you know? yeah, right, so, right. 
Yeah. So well, uh, when when Big Boy had started, what I really liked about Big Boy at the time, they they had the diversity, you know, because you had Partners in Crime with yeah. the with the bounce music, you had G Slim with the West Coast feel, then you had uh Black Menace. Black Menace, yeah. With the tongue twister. Yeah. You know, so it was right. a little bit of everything for everybody and plus another thing that I liked him when Big Boy had a system when they dropped those albums, they would have some radio edited songs. Right, right. Anytime we went in and we Right, right. Anytime we went in and we did an album, we made sure right then and there. Whatever the single was going to be, we did radio edits right there at that time, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah and, and that was for every album, man. That's what I liked about it. So while this was going on, it was a big boy trying to secure the distribution deals, or he just wanted to stay independent? No, no, no. He was trying to secure deals. That's where the deal came in with, uh, with Relativity, with G Slim, because actually... When G Slim dropped the Fools, Deuces, and Trades, I think we uh we had signed a little deal with Relativity for that for that project. And then uh, once we uh, finally signed Mystical, and he had some kind of belief in Mystical because Big Boy didn't believe in Mystical when we first signed him. You know, uh, when Mystical first came to the camp, you know, with his wicked style of rap, Big Boy was like, "Man, look, I don't, I'm not feeling this." Like, you know, so he basically left it up to us to decide if Mystical was going to stay on Big Boy, and our decision was to say, yeah, man, take him. So basically Big Boy was like, you know, well, if y'all like him that much, take him under y'all wing, y'all put him on y'all shoes, y'all do what y'all want. But, uh, yes, after um, Mystical went on the road with us, he blew off, and next thing you know, he secured the jive deal, you know. So Chuck was looking for, you know, to get a major distribution from, you know, major labels and things like that. So. Yeah, and, and Tim Smooth, he played a big part of that too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim Smooth uh, came to the uh, to the big boy family, and uh, he did a lot of writing and things like that with Mystical. Some of the songs that you hear from Mystical, you know, earlier years, was actually co-written with uh, Tim Smooth. And, um, you know, Tim Smooth actually dropped some of his own projects too as well on Big Boy. But, yeah, Tim was a very, very major factor to what was going on to the, you know, with the camp. Oh. Yeah, because I remember when uh, when uh, Pump the Party had came out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, that's the number one party anthem. Yeah, yeah, right. party money, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lord. And see, I don't know if, it, if this went down in y'all city, but in my little town, man, remember around that same time when y'all dropped from the party, MC Nero had came out with Got a Lot of Yeah, respect. with the fool named Men, Got a Lot of, Got a Lot of. Yeah, we did a lot of shows yeah. together, man. We, yeah, we and, uh, and both so. of those songs were so popular that people down here was getting y'all with Nero, bro, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, 
you know, I guess because of both of those songs, they came out at the same time, and they were so popular, you know, but see, when Pump the Party, you know, it had that up-tempo dance beat, you know, it had that dance to it, and got a lot of respect. You know, it was a party beat, but it was more of a, you could you could dance to it about, hey, you know. Right, right. Right, right. right. Yeah, Pump the Party had a driving beat, bro. Yeah, so... You know, let's get into when y'all was making that album, man. What was the process like? I mean, the concept, of, is, of, as far as our albums, bro, we just wanted to party and have fun on every album. Every time we went in the studio, our mindset was to go in here, have fun, and make make music that people would dance to and that they would love in the clubs. Like, you know what I'm saying? And that was right. our main objective. That was the songs that we really wanted to put out there and mainstream, but if you listen to the albums, we have a lot more than just bounce songs on there. We have some hardcore yeah. stuff that's on there too, but the yeah. musical songs, the ones that had the thriving beats and stuff was the songs that we felt like we wanted, the, the type of energy that we wanted to put out into the world. So actually when we made the song Pump the, when we made the song Pump the Party, we uh, got to the studio, and G Slim was actually in the studio recording. So when we got there, uh, Sice was like, hey, G, I'm going to have to, uh, we're going to have to get back to this session. So G Slim come out the booth, and, you know, he was playing with us. He was mean mugging us because, you know, they was all with the Crips shit, the Crips and the Bloods. And, you know, they was yeah, gangbangers, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Right. So he came right. out there with his little French braids and stuff, and he was like, damn, homie, y'all just come in here and run me out of here. Y'all ain't going to do nothing <laughs> in here but that pump. He's like, y'all ain't going to do nothing in here but that pump the party ass shit, huh? And we was like, <laughs> yep, that's it. So we looked at Sice and we was like, that's the name of the song for the day. So Sice was like, you serious? We like, yeah. So we went in the booth. And Sice already, uh, he, he knew that we used to, we liked the old break beats, the break beats when it gets back to, <clears throat> when you like date back to, um, to the early 80s and shit like that during the breakdance era. So uh, yeah, yeah. He, just took, he just took the, the Mantronics and uh, the Ultimate song and just, did that and added a thriving beat to it, and we went in there and we just parted. If you listen to the song, it's just a bunch of guys that's in the booth laughing and saying, you know what I mean, and partying. And we just had a yeah. piece of paper in there. We had a piece of paper in there with names on it, and we just went at it. King Slim came up off the, off the party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then we had then we had another line where while we all in there partying and having fun, I'll point at the one line, and then we all say, who run this bitch? Who rule this bitch? And we just had fun like that, bro. And that's how that song came about. It was like no strategic way. It just was like, just just have fun. Put some names on the paper. We're going to say, who run this bitch on, on this song? We're going to say 4 plus 5, and what do you get? We're going to say Holly Grove is in the house. We're going to say Girtown is getting down. And each time, one of us just pointed at a line, and everybody just started saying it. Girtown, 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 Girtown is getting down. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and yeah. that's that's how that song came about, bro. And like I said, God bless him. Twenty five years, man. We still rocking this shit, like you know. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. And one of my favorite songs by y'all is Gucci. <laughs> yeah, I got Gucci, man. Hey. Yeah. That, was of, that was one of our biggest songs, bro. And that song came about is because. Um, my partner, Mr. Mina, he went to the, back in the day, they had a Run DMC concert down here. And um, it was in Armstrong Park. It was Run DMC, uh, Slick Rick, and a couple of other people. But 
when Run DMC came on stage, you know, their show, bro, they take that Adidas off and they hold it up and they was telling everybody, put your Adidas up. So everybody yeah. in the stadium was putting their Adidas up, like, and he was like, say, bro, this is, I want to do that one day, make a motherfucker put their shoes up in this motherfucker. So <laughs> around that time, around that time, we was always, like, fashionable coming out of high school with the ballets, leather jackets, you know what I mean? That just was our... The 80s, you know, coming out of the 80s into the 90s and things like that, then, you know, we just felt like we had to be fly. So we always yeah, were wearing, yeah. you know, Gucci shoes, leather jackets, things like that, you know. So we uh, made the song I Got Gucci's, and one day in the Riverboat Hallelujah, when we first made the song and we dropped it, you know, the city where everybody was on, you know, buying Gucci shoes and shit at the time. So we made everybody put their Gucci's up and, Man, the whole fucking place just was like Gucci's every fucking where. They don't care what it was, whether it was a, a Gucci chain, whether it was a Gucci jacket, a Gucci hat. Motherfuckers had that shit up in the air, like, and, you know, we ripped that song, <laughs> I Got Gucci. That's you know, dope, yeah. Like, Green, I got the black, I got Gucci. Bitch, I got the brown and all that, I got Gucci. Bitch, I got the yeah. high and low, too, I got Gucci. Bitch, that ain't no ordinary shoe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was yeah, one of the jams. Yeah. <laughs> that shit dope, right. yeah. Yeah, man. Right. So how was uh, Leroy Edwards? Well, Precise was the fucking man, man. Precise. I could curse on here, bro, because I'm just going off right now, man. I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Yeah, man. Precise was the man, bro. I mean, when we hooked up with Precise, Precise was a real true producer, man. I mean, from every key to every bass line, this dude was playing that shit. You know, he always brought in, you know, different, you know, artists, guitars, and things like that to play in the music. That's why when you listen to all of the old music, the mystical music, the partners in crime music, ghetto twins music, fiend, and all of that, you know, it was it was a little bit a notch above what Manny Fresh was doing. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, Manny was... Manny was still on a, like, up-tempo, you know, beat machine type beats, and Sice was taking it to another level. He was using instruments, you know, with a lot of his music. And, you know, Sice is the man that really brought together the music, the music uh, that we all, you know, walk to, to the, you know, today. If we went in there and we sung a song to Sice, you know, Sice hummed a beat in his head, and it was like 15 minutes later, he's like going to boot. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, yeah. Man, he was laying that, that shit, you know? Exactly. And y'all had your own sound, too. You know, if you was a real music head, you know, you were right. the boy sound with your head. You know, you right, right, right. the difference, you know, between Big, big Boy and, you know, the, the other proceeding labels, you know, with cash money right. and no limit. Yeah. Right, right. We always strive for that sound, bro. I could say everybody that worked with us, we were truly music heads. We weren't just no dudes that just was like, oh, okay, we rap. You know what I mean? No, yeah. we really was into music, like, you know, and that's why we strive for perfection during those times. Even though we didn't have all of the big equipment, like, you know, a lot of people had on the West Coast and the East Coast and things like that, we made it work to the best of our ability. But we did, we all understood the quality of music, not just music, but the quality of it. You know? Yeah, right. yeah. And then I wanted them to put it out there about that, uh, that G-Song, that Foles, Deuces, and Trades, man. Hey, that's yeah. one of the albums that I still jam to this day, man. I remember when uh, 
Christmas 95 was coming up, and my mom was trying to see what she was going to get. And I was like, right. really didn't know, you know, and at the time, you know, we was listening to the radio, and it was, it was promoting the Foles, Deuces, and Trades album. And so yeah. while the commercial was playing, you know, I was bobbing my head. Mama said, that's going to be your Christmas present. And, man, look, right. I tell you, that I was, I was so mesmerized by that that every time they played that commercial, right, I recorded it. I recorded, <laughs> it. I recorded yeah. that little piece, man. It was only about 30 or 40 seconds, man. I still remember right. the older man because it was the Chronic Man intro. And then uh-huh. I played the clip from All the Problem, man, another clip from Ain't Nobody Got For Me. Ain't yeah, Nobody Got For Me, right. <laughs> yeah, and, and after I recorded the little piece, man, I kept rewinding and playing that, that little commercial, man. I played right, it right. until I got the tape. <laughs> right, right, right. But, yeah, bro, like I said, man, it was some good times for us. You know, we went through a lot. Big Boy was a a, a very big learning experience for us, bro. It actually prepped us to be the men who we are in the business part of things right now. You know what I mean? We weren't we weren't those artists that were shadowed like most, you know, right. um, record-owned, label owners do. They shadow their artists from the business side of it, and that was something that we was never shadowed from, you know. We was always told about royalties. We was always told about mechanical royalties. We was always told about these type things. And when it was time for us to get our money, we was making our own money. You know what I mean? I mean, I I signed with them when I was like 15 years old, and I can promise you by the time I made 16, was about to make 17, I was living in Park Royale Apartments as a teenager, and my mom couldn't understand it. And the reason why I was able to live like that was because these dudes made sure I got my money at a, as a teenager, you know? And, um, That's what's up, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, it was a learning experience, bro. Big Boy taught us a lot, bro. And um, we actually started, moved on from Big Boy. We started a label by the name of South Coast Music Group with Rob Shaw, who was a former owner, co-owner of Big Boy Records, but he was our manager as well. And when we finally yeah. left Big Boy Records, he still stuck by our side. You know, he helped us start the South Coast label. We uh, we went in partnership with him. He taught us how to manage our own selves, you know, instead of him doing it all. He basically just handed the torch over to us. And, you know, those guys, like, my hat's off to those guys. Those guys pretty much acted as our business fathers, you know, and made us the men who we are today still, still able to be relevant, knowing how to conduct ourselves in business and knowing you know, a whole lot about the business, you know? Right. That's what's up, yeah. And the thing about that, I remember when y'all had dropped the Drama Squad album, man, because I, I liked the concept that y'all had on that. First of all, that was a cold album, man. And right. I, I, I like how y'all had it set up because the album was like a book, you know? It, somebody right. was reading the book, and you could hear the pages turning, and when the pages turning, turning it, yeah. Right, 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 right. That was the concept of it. But the way the Drama Squad came about was we was uh, – that was actually dropped on our label, South Coast Records. And um, right. we came – we found out that when we started our own label, all we had was us at the time. So instead of us wow. constantly dropping Partners in Crime albums, which would have oversaturated us, we figured out other ways on how to drop Partners in Crime albums but not actually be Partners in Crime. Because we dropped the Drama Squad album, 
and we dropped a song called Pepper Boy was the hit single off of the Drama Squad album, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. only me. It's me. I'm the only I'm singing the song. None of the members of the Drama Squad is even on the song. You know, but we dropped it as Red Hot Pepper Boy, you know, from the Drama Squad featuring Kango Slim. But I am right, the right. only person that's that's on the Red Hot Pepper Boy song. No one else is. I'm the only one singing it. So we took that song and we actually dropped another song called How Many People the Trigger Man song. And uh yeah, we yeah. Teached, uh, yeah, the Trigger Man song had the Drama Squad on it. So what we did was we dropped the Partners in Crime single, which was a Drama Squad single, Pepper Boy, and then we followed up yeah. with the Trigger Man just to give you the illusion of knowing that there is another artist behind the Drama Squad, you know? Yeah, uh, creative, creative. Yeah, so then in return after that, we needed to uh, – we dropped another Partners in Crime album, which was the What You Want to Do album which had the New Orleans block party and things on it. And uh, as we rolled that success out, we dropped another album titled Primetime, the Primetime album. Primetime was once a member of Partners in Crime when we first dropped the PNC3 album, but he later got into some uh, jail trouble, and he had, you know, we had to, like, separate for a while. But then when he came back, we dropped a solo album on him, which we dropped the song Tell Me Why featuring Miss T, which is just only Miss T and me. And that was a single off of the primetime album. So we kind of worked right. partners in crime throughout the years. But, yeah. And it's funny because no matter whether we're still singing the songs or not, just us telling them that it's another artist kind of gave us a little bit more longevity in all what we were doing, you know? That's what's up, yeah. yeah. So uh, tell us about the, the Ghetto Twins. All right, Ghetto Twins. Yeah, man, the Ghetto Twins was hard, man. They used to be called the Devastating Twins back in the day, and uh, yeah. they had a large, they had a, they had a large following, you know, downtown in the downtown area. So um, when they hooked up with uh, Big Boy Records, uh, they were signed to uh, another label by the name of Shiska Records, which was ran by Richard Pina, who uh, later went to jail for being one of the largest drug kingpins, you know, throughout the whole southern, you know what I mean? Yeah. Southern yeah. regions. So um, when they uh, left Pina, they came to Big Boy Records, and they was just like these hard, sweet chicks like that everybody just loved because they had a sexuality to them to where, you know, of course they're both twins. They were tall. They were, you know, had nice bodies. But at the same time, they were slugged up and they had tats and they would tell you, fuck you, we'll slug a hole in your ass you playing with us. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so they, yeah. they, had that, that, they had that sweet, hard thing going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people gravitated towards them, especially the women, because in their music they had messages in their music telling women to stand up, be strong, don't be no stupid motherfucker out here. You know, they had the mama's hurting baby. You know, yeah. talking about, you know, somebody losing their child, things like that. They had a responsibility song saying that I got responsibilities, I got to hustle, or either my kid won't eat, you know. And after that, they came out, um, was it No Pain, No Game with Mia X? It was one of those songs they did with Mia X. And, you know, they, they had a, like, positive side to them. So they were a well-rounded group of females, man. You know, they're still working till the day as well, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I know they still uh, doing music, and uh, they was putting out a couple of mixtapes a good while back. 
Yeah, yeah, they're still working, man. Actually, Leroy uh, Precise is actually, you know, he works with them because one of them is his wife, you know. Right. Uh, it's tight. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, what, what ended up being the undoing of Big Boy? What happened for it to go under? Well, it was a... Uh, an issue that arose with uh, partners in crime with us. We were the first ones to ever leave Big Boy Records. And uh, when we left, we left behind a, a money dispute of royalties. Uh, it was time for us to get a royalty check. We got our royalty check. But when we did the numbers, it was a short number. We still was old. We still was old. I think it was like $6,000 or something like that at the time. And uh, they kept playing around with our money, kept playing around with it. We was asking for it, we were asking for it, and they were like, we're not giving it to y'all because of this and that, that, that. So it was like, all right, fuck it, we leaving, man. So we decided to leave Big Boy Records, and when we decided to leave Big Boy Records, everybody else on a label except for uh, people like uh, Black Menace and the Ghetto Twins, uh, Mystical and them, they, they had never received a royalty from uh, Big Boy. So when we brought up the dispute, that made everybody else's eyes open. And they were like, wait a minute, I never received a royalty, you know. So we had a talk with uh, Mike, which was Mystical, and uh, we pretty much explained to him how everything was going. But at the time, Mystical had signed a deal with Jive, and they had gave him the money, a little bit of money from Jive that he had gotten. So, you know, he was pleased with that, but he didn't remember that he dropped two albums before Jive. You know what I'm saying? Right. (laughs) So when all of that came about, that's when everybody started to, you know, question, you know, what was going on. But, you know, we hated to be the the balance of burden, but, uh, you know, it just was a big money issue with us, and we decided to leave. And when other people asked us on the label what was going on, we explained to them, and everybody started to leave. So Mystical, uh, Mystical left, and he went signed with uh, Cash Money Records. Fiend left. He went signed with Cash Money. I mean, not Cash Money Records, No Limit Records. I'm sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, Mystical left. He went signed with No Limit Records. Fiend left, signed with No Limit. Um, no Limit wanted um, us and the Ghetto Twins. Also, Rap-A-Lot had a bid on the table for us and the Ghetto Twins. So we kind of, like, stayed in between to see who was going to, you know, who was going to break. And then... Uh, after a while, uh, Jay Prince had uh, gave us a lump sum amount of money, but at the same time, he didn't sign us, but he still gave us some money for us to do our thing, you know. And um, yeah. we took that money and we started our own label by the name of Crime Lab Entertainment. But um, Master P came to us and, you know, he asked, you know, to sign us and things like that. But things never was right on that end. That's a whole nother story, you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. right. So look, one one more thing about that situation when uh when Master P and J Prince came into the fold, uh the contract with Big Boy was they bought it or did they have to be bought out? Uh no, they Big Boy didn't have to be bought out with with us because we always remain our own entity, bro. That's the thing about it. You gotta realize we were the only ones getting the royalty. So that means that we were the only ones that was on our business. You know what I'm saying? When it came to a buyout or anything like that, it was never a buyout because we chose to work on an album basis. You know what I'm saying? So okay. you get your right. you get your out yeah, you get your album. Somebody wanna sign me tomorrow, dude, you hey, yeah, I'm gone. You know what I'm saying? But a lot mm-hmm. of the artists didn't have that. Like, you know, we, we didn't work on like a five year basis, a six year basis or nothing like that. 
we worked on an album-to-album basis. Every time we did an album, we made that agreement on what was going to be percentages, what was going to be done, and we did that. So we never was that we never was that group where nobody had to buy us out until in and until this day right now we own the masters of all of our music we have legal right to do whatever we want with it you know what I'm saying that's us that's part of us. Yeah. Right. yeah yeah y'all ever thought about re-releasing them yeah it's our 25th year anniversary 2017 man so we re-releasing right. the uh, we re-releasing the 25th year anniversary and it's gonna be a bunch of the greatest hits, but we're also gonna add at least three to four of the new, the newer vibes that we're doing, and you know, so that people could actually, you know, get a collector's item and they get the the newer songs that we're working on to kind of prep them on what they're gonna be seeing going into these new, you know, these these newer years with us, you know. Yeah, for sure. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's up, man. Yeah, because uh, I was. I was wondering when all that was going on, when uh, uh, No Limit, you know, they was they was running the charts at the time, and Cash Money was wasn't too far behind them. They were still bubbling, and uh, right. the boy had just went into obscurity all of a sudden. I'm like, man, you know what what's going on here? Then all of a sudden, I saw Ghetto Twins on Rap a Lot because I remember that album dropped in right. August, then Mystical right. dropped in right. October. I'm like, man, what's going on here? <laughs> right, right, right. That's what was going on, bro. That's what was yeah. going on. Then later on, you know, Big Boy uh, wound up getting pop and going to do some jail time on some other stuff. So, you know, that was it, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 So, Bumble Claw, you got something you want to ask? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to know, like, uh, the Trigger Man song from the New- from New York, but how, how did it become so big in uh, New Orleans? Because man, in the early, uh, in the early, uh, the late '80s, early '90s, yeah. that's what we used to rap off of in clubs. Back in the clubs, okay. bounce started off of chance. What we used to do okay. it was we used to play the Trigger Man beat in the club, and yeah. whatever ward was in the club or whatever like click was in the club, we used to shout them, shout them out. You know what I mean? They used to put All the right. play the Trigger Man song, and we probably would be a. Uh, uh, soldier Slim in a house and he won't get on. Put him on, put him on, put him on. You know, things like yeah. that. Uh, either we'll yeah. be like that third ward in the house. Oh, yeah, that fourth ward in the house. Oh, yeah, and it just was a chant thing. But after wow. a while, people started to rap to it. People started to Word. rap to it and rap about their hood. And, you know, I'm from the third ward and I don't give a fuck. If a nigga yeah. fuck with us, then he will get snuck. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how Bounce was birthed. Because when you go wow. in these clubs, everybody from every ward, they already know, all right, I'm going to Club Adidas this weekend. I know Terrell right. going to grab a mic, and when he say that 17 ward, we all going to act dumb stupid because we right. going deep. Right. Town, Holly Grove, Pigeon Town, whole 17, all of us get money, we going in there and represent. So when I do grab a mic, we just going to, you know what I mean, act buck, yeah. go fuck wild like so. That's how it was. You know, we was the 17th Wars representatives. We represented for the 17th. You know, just now, you know, Louisiana Fest was just, you know, what, a couple of months ago. Wayne brought us out. You know, you can catch that clip. It's all on, you know, YouTube and everything. You know, he gave the speech of why he who he is. You know what I'm saying? He's like, look, I'm from the 17th Ward. These are the dudes I looked up to. These are the dudes that made me who I am. This is why I'm Wayne, because I wanted to be these dudes. 
when I was yeah. coming up. So he strived to be better and better and better. And look, fuck, I would have never known that we was his idols like that. You know, people had right. told us that he was a big partisan crime fan even back then when we was able to, you know, really, really touch him and shit. But, you yeah, know, for yeah. him to come out and say, like, you know, y'all are the ones that did it for me, you know, the 17th Wall, you know, that was big. But we represented the 17th Ward in the club. Soldier Slim represented the third ward, you know what I mean? Feli yeah. Phil represented, Feli Phil and um, forgot the other name of the group. Uh, it's going to come to me. They represented the ninth ward, you know what I mean? DJ Jubilee right. represented the tenth ward. So there it is. You got those people, you know, you had uh, UNLV represented the third ward as well. But here it is. Yeah. You have all of these guys that's, that represented for all of these wards, and we were the foundation layers for what, they call, you know what I mean, bounce music, you know? Yeah, crazy. That's tight. Wow. Yeah, and speaking of that, you know, DJ Jim and DJ Jubilee, they were some popular bounce DJs at the time. Was it any other DJs at the time that wasn't as popular as Jim and They had a big impact. Yeah, they had a bunch of DJs, man. You got to think about, yeah, you got a bunch of DJs. You had DJ Ron. DJ Ron was the dude that, uh, that was uh he used to DJ at the Big Easy nightclub. You still had um you had Big Heavy. Big Heavy was a DJ. He was with Cash Money Records at one time. Big Heavy was a good DJ. You also had DJ Pee Wee. DJ Pee Wee is the one that was responsible for mixing the Trigger Man and the um uh, the uh Browns beat together with a cappellas. Like you know how you hear the a cappellas with like the Trigger Man beat, like maybe you'll hear Beyonce song with the Trigger Man beat. And things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, that was invented by DJ Pee Wee, man. That was the song yeah. called uh, Woke One Morning, mm-hmm. Tears in My Eye. Remember that old song? You yeah. left me without a kiss or a note of... Ah, uh, yeah. Dun, dun. He to, yeah, he used to rock that shit with the Browns beat and the Trigger Man beat. Thank you. Yeah. And about you. Yeah. That. And then and then a lot of DJs started catching on to grabbing these acapellas and mixing them with bouncing, you know, with the Trigger Man beat and the Browns beat, bro. And that's why you here today. And, you know, I listen to some of these young cats that's mixing the beats right now, and they're like, oh, I started doing this mix. I'm like, bro, please, look, you did this in 90, <laughs> you know what I mean, 91. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could. I can actually say that Pee Wee is the bird. He's the one that started that DJ P, you know? Word. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Right, right, right. But it's a lot of history here, bro. It's a lot of history, and I'm glad glad you guys are getting it down, bro, because we have so many people that come from the outside, and they get this false history because they always come down here, and they talk to these fourth and fifth generation artists, like, you know, and – it's yeah. like you can never get the history from talking to a fourth or a fifth generation artist because, you know, they just came out in damn 2008, you know what I mean? Yeah. 2000, right. whatever. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. came out anywhere in 2000 and all of that, then, you you know, you're not considered, you know what I mean, one of those key figures that can actually break down the history of things because most of these cats, they don't even do the history. They just come in the music business and say, I'm a music artist, people like my music. You know, I sold a few copies, and it is what it is. But if I name some of these names that I named you guys to them, yeah. they would be fucking like, I don't know who the hell that is. And these are the people right. that <laughs> paved the way. Yeah. yeah, and these are the people that paved the way for them to do what they do, you know. 
The only reason why yeah. they remember us and they know us because we remain relevant. You know what I'm saying? Right. We're still out here. We're still putting artists out. We're still dropping music. We're still still doing big things. So that's why they're able to always keep partners in crime in their head, you know, because we remain relevant. But some of the older artists, bro, they, they couldn't tell you a clue who the hell they are, you know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what, what y'all have going on nowadays, man? I mean, right now, man, we have a uh, new artist that we're branding. We have an artist by the name of DTY Youngin that's been catching a whole lot of heat. You know, a lot of people have been talking about him. We uh, are putting him out, producing his music. We also have Jay Jones, which uh, Lil Wayne is taking under his wing. He's been flying, you know, everywhere that Wayne's been flying. Uh, we have uh, Hollywood King. Yeah, and all of this, uh, we had a, a 0017 movement. That's moving every time you hear Wayne say 0017 or wearing a clothing line, you know what I mean? That's all 17 war thing, born, you know, yeah. which is originated right there in Holly Grove. But as far as partners in crime, I mean, right now we're concentrating on continuously writing music, getting placements, you know, playing that background role, but also uh, making sure that our legacy is upheld for another 25 to 40 years, however long we can uphold our legacy and, you know, help these artists down here in the city become something, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, man, just be looking out when you hear the name. I mean, next year, next year we're doing uh, the big Zulu ball. We got a uh, French Porter Ferris. Anytime you come down, Jazz Fest, you know, all the big festivals, you know, we'll be doing this year. So just keep your ear out for what Partners in Crime is going to be doing because, like I said, this year is going to be a golden year, the 25th year anniversary our partners in crime, so we're going to have a whole lot going on here in the city and, you know, around the city, certain, you know, in areas. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I had an associate of mine had told me that y'all was working on a cartoon a while back. Yeah, we were working on a cartoon by the name of The Gang, but we had to put it on hold. And what we did was we got the script and we got all of the, uh, the characters and things like that together. We did a bunch of voiceovers and things like that, but we're not going to really put it out there right now because we don't have the proper channels to put it through. So we're still okay, searching yeah. for the proper channels before we actually say, okay, this is going to be something that, you know what I mean, we're moving forward with. We don't want to overjump the gun. Uh, we started the the biggest process of it all as far as getting the scripts written, you know, getting the artists, I mean, the uh, actual characters, voiceovers yeah. and things like that. So right now what we have to do is just try and find that right plug that's going to put it in, the right light to where it'll be seen, you know, the right way and not on some, you know, okay, they just put this out on YouTube or nothing like that. Yeah, we wanted yeah. to actually hit a, we wanted to actually hit a network, you know? That's what's up, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Yeah, that was up. And uh you know there you have it everybody. Uh, partners in crime. You know, Kango here that gave us some deep history about the New Orleans music scene, the careers, the highs and lows, and the special moments in between. No limit in cash money, success, sword, and the unbelievable heights, but big ball contribution is priceless. So when you think about hits like Make Them Say Um and Back the Thing Up, make sure you include Pump the Party. So May Old School right. Hip Hop Hill Festival. Peace at Rest in Peace, Charles Big Boy Temple. Rest in Peace, Chuck Eric.